You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. You guys sounded great just singing praise to God and enjoying some uh, time together. How many of you uh, just enjoyed a little bit of that alive outdoor in the backyard last night? That was awesome, right? Hey, you know, I'm sitting out there and I'm watching like, I mean, it's amazing to see the energy that kids have. The kids are like dancing out there, and they're bouncing up and down and doing that. And then somewhere along the night, I don't know where, some of the kids figured out that we've got this one spotlight on the ground that shines up on the wall because when we hang like our Easter banner out there, uh, you know, we want to illuminate it at night. Well, the kids figured out that they could dance in front of that light, and it's like major, you know, shadow puppets on the wall. And so it was actually really cool because they were like, you know, dancing and doing stuff, but it was like huge up on the wall and people driving by were like, what in the world, you know, is going on there? It was pretty awesome just to see uh, the energy that kids have. And sometimes we wish, you know, we could bottle that energy up and like reserve it for ourselves, especially if you're a parent of young ones, you know what I mean. It's, you know, you see all day long, there's just this immense energy, then you're trying to get them settled down for sleepy time. And uh, how many of you have ever in your life, maybe when you were younger, you babysat little kids? Okay, you babysat, right. See, a lot of us. And I, I don't know about you, but like, I, I always wondered, like, wow, if I could just maybe play enough with them, it'll wear them out. Uh, at bedtime, they would actually go to sleep, but they got this immense amount of energy. And, and I, you know, I think of our culture. Our culture is addicted to energy. We love our energy drinks. We're always looking for a way for power, for something more, for something to keep up with the pace of life. And we ask this question when we're looking at this series called Energy out of 2 Thessalonians, we ask this question, how does God's power provide strength to endure life until he returns? Like, is there a power source that we can draw from to actually endure life until Christ comes back, till we're gathered with him in the air or his Christly, his earthly return uh, in the future? How do we get strength to be able to do that? And most power comes with a warning label. Uh, I've got right here a uh, monster energy drink. And uh, how many of you could say that you need a little extra energy here today? Anybody here? All right, this one's for Linda Betancourt, but Zoe, I'm going to make you catch it. It's either Zoe or Colin. All right, there you go. All right, there you go. A little extra energy for you here today. And all those energy drinks have, uh, you know, they have a warning label uh, attached to them. And, uh, and because you realize that if you're sensitive to caffeine and you drink that thing, it could put you like way over the top. You might actually have a medical emergency and you shouldn't you know, give it to students under 18, I think is what they recommend. I was watching a documentary this last week because our culture is addicted to energy. And sometimes our addiction to energy causes problems that cause problems for us. And what I mean by that is uh, they were doing a documentary on the salmon and how they would swim upstream, but over the years, we've put hydroelectric dams in, and it stops the salmon from going upstream, and now the land doesn't get the mineral resource from the decaying salmon, and the wildlife doesn't eat the salmon that should be up there, and we're spending billions of dollars as a nation, billions, trying to do hatcheries and fisheries and all this thing to get the salmon back up the stream, and we've got the American River right here, and, you know, and they go all the way up there, and maybe you've been to the hatchery, as I have, and you've been to the, uh, the fishery there and seen all the different hatchlings. We're spending billions of dollars because somewhere along the line we say we want to dam this, we want to reserve the water, but we also want to generate electricity for all the devices that we love. We need energy, but our energy is causing problems that God already had wired up, had already put within the natural cycle of nature. 
and we have undone it. And so sometimes our desire for energy can come with a warning label. Uh, if you've babysat kids, like many of you indicated, and I have, you think if I just get them all energetic, then they'll sleep when it's bedtime. But how many of you at some point, you put the kids down to bed, you turned off the lights or whatever, and then pretty soon you heard like a little voice calling out or a little whimpering or something like that, and, and, and you go back in there and they're afraid, right? They're afraid because it's dark. And then you try the nightlight thing, you turn the nightlight on, and they're afraid of the monsters. And by turning on the nightlight, you only help them see the monsters better. And so that doesn't work because, you know, now they're afraid, they're upset. And, and I remember coming home from babysitting one time thinking, man, like, how do I how do I deal with this? Because like the kid was out of bed like 50 times, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, oh, I got it. So the next time I showed up, uh, the kid goes, oh, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the monsters. I said, monsters? They said, yes. I said, I'll be right back. Out of my backpack, I went and grabbed a water bottle. I came in and go, I have some monster spray. So, you know, sprayed in the closet, spray under the bed, you know, spray o- over in the corner, anywhere else. And all of a sudden, it was like, the kid was like, you rock. Like, you have monster spray? They totally, like, straight face, totally believed me, went right to sleep. I was like, unbelievable. I mean, wouldn't it, isn't it great just to have, like, some monster spray? Uh, by the way, uh, I've heard if you have a problemed cat, they love monster spray. They cannot get enough of it. So, you know, if you just have a really problemed cat. Well, shortly after... Paul and his dream team started up this church in Thessalonica. They had to flee because they were being persecuted. And uh, they are writing, and they have to det- uh, write based on snail mail or on the report of people who are traveling. So word between the originators of the church and the church that's thriving itself could take a long time. It might take weeks. It might take months. So Paul writes a letter called First. Thessalonians to the church in Thessalonica, telling them how to experience energy as we wait on the Lord's uh, return and how to do church life and some other things in there, just the way for Christian living. But there's a gap in between their letters, and he's writing to them and helping them understand how to find physical strength or real power for their time of need. But an unexpected energy surge hit them out of nowhere like an earthquake. The people got a letter, and it said it was from Paul. And the letter said that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this letter was a rumor. It was a false letter. And it said the day of the Lord's return had already happened, and they had missed out. And given the persecutions that the people were facing, they were alarmed. They were incredibly stressed because they thought, well, maybe, maybe, in fact, we have actually missed out. And so there's a panic that starts running through the church, like a solar flare they didn't expect that just knocks out the power they were relying on. And now they're all in an uproar over these rumors. And that's where we pick up because fear has blossomed in the church in Thessalonica. And Paul writes to them to help calm their fears over this lie, this rumor. If you have your Bible, open with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by a letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. 
so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness. It's already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So as we look at this passage, we realize that Paul is writing back to counter the alleged letter that had come from him that in fact had not. And sometimes for you and me, we can get easily alarmed by things, right? I mean, all of a sudden we start to react out of the flesh instead of reacting out of faith or by the Spirit. When it looks like something else other than God or what we believe to be is right, when it looks like something else has all the momentum, has all the power, has all the push, has all the people behind it, we begin to react out of fear. We begin to get afraid. We begin to think, well, maybe God's power is like diminished and evil is rising and and we become easily startled and easily afraid. It's easy to react with alarm. Well, what's Paul saying to them? First of all, he's saying, don't believe everything you read. Now, we've all heard that, right? Now, in our day and age, we ought to say, don't believe everything you read. Don't believe everything you watch on the internet. Don't believe everything that, uh, you know, is a video or that you hear. I mean, whether it's the internet or the video or the news or false religious teaching, don't believe everything that you hear or watch or see. We want to test it against the truth of God's word. He, he almost kids them. Don't you remember that I had told you these things already? See, they had gone to the fear side, not to what had been assured in God's word already to that point. So many times people will be alarmed. I mean, they come to me a lot of times and they'll be like, Pastor, oh my goodness, did you see this video on the internet? You need to watch it. They send me the link, you know, watch this. And it's about the Illuminati controlling the whole entire world. And, you know, maybe, you know, they're like, I'm afraid. Remember a couple years ago when it was uh, 2012? And uh, people were like, I don't know, December's coming. Is the world going to end? Because, you know, they had heard all these rumors and seen videos and and all sorts of amazing displays of, you know, videography about uh, Aztec and Mayan calendars and that the end of the world is going to come. It's easy to get alarmed. Sometimes you might be alarmed by the news. You get up in the morning and the news gets you all worked up about stuff you didn't care about five minutes ago. But now you're all stressed, you're all upset, you're all mad, you're worried for our culture, you're worried for our state, you're worried for the city of Sacramento and of Elk Grove, all because of the news and you get all worked up about stuff. You haven't even looked at God's word yet, but the news has worked you up quite a bit. Well, it's easy to get alarmed, isn't it? It's easy to get worked up. And so I want to give you three signs, three warning signs that you might be stirred up by false power. If false power is working in your life, it's got a warning label. Here's three signs that you might be stirred up by false power. Number one, as was true of the church in Thessalonica, they were shaken. They were shaken. 
This word had come to them, and it was unexpected. Where were you the day of the Loma Prieta earthquake? Did you get up that morning expecting to be like, hey, today we're going to have an earthquake, and it's great because I've got like extra food and water, and I've got a little stash, I'm going to stay near doorways, and I'm going to be, you know, no, it came out of nowhere, right? And so that's what happened. It's like an earthquake. They were shaken. This letter came to them, and it was probably read publicly, and they, they were instantly shaken, and rumors started going around about it. Second sign that you might be stirred up by false power, they were quickly disturbed and troubled. I mean, this word spread fast, and then fear magnified it. So maybe one person's fear was like a four on the Richter scale, but for someone else, they owned that fear, and then they magnified it. Well, maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's even worse, and they became even more afraid, and that fear just was, it just caught among people. It went viral, and they became disturbed and troubled quickly. And number three, they were reacting out of the flesh instead of acting by faith based on the truth of God's word. Remember, Paul said, don't you remember that I'd already told you these things, and what you're hearing now, what you're experiencing now, it's in conflict with what you had been written about earlier. By the way, that's a good reminder that God's word doesn't contradict itself that we can rely on the timeless truth of God's word. And we need to look at it and balance what we're hearing and seeing. We are to be alert. We are to watch the signs of the times. There is an antichrist who will come. There is this man of lawlessness. There are end times. There is a return of the Lord. But we balance that against the truth that's revealed about it in God's word. Now, wouldn't it be nice, though, if uh, you thought of your core fear for a minute? Let's think of whatever it might be your core fear. For some of you, it's money. Whenever the issue of money comes up, you and your spouse start to fight because for you, that's your core fear. And maybe it should be more of a fear for the other person if they're a big spender. But on the side, money stuff comes up and you, you feel that just tension rising. Maybe for you, it's relational conflict. That's your fear. You just want to be at peace with everybody. Maybe for you, your core fear is insecurity. You just, you don't, you want to know about the future and you just can't and you're just, you get, whenever the insecurity, maybe your fear is being abandoned or being orphaned. And whenever you feel like someone or something or the organization or the company or a group of people is going to abandon you, that core fear rises up because of what you've experienced in the past. And, And that core fear comes up for you this morning. I want you just to ask for a minute, you know, what core fear did you walk in here today with that perhaps God wants to address. Maybe it's fear for your children. Maybe it's fear of your health. But what core fear is shaking you? It's quickly shaking you. And you're relying on reacting and trying to control it instead of acting by faith and looking to God first. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if, if you could have a monster spray for that monster of fear in your life? That you, can, you, know, you walk in here today and all of a sudden, oh, financial fear comes up and you just, oh, I feel better. I feel totally good. Like, it totally worked. Like, I just wish that was so nice if we could just do that, if we could have some sort of spray to disarm our fears. I mean, I don't think many people have this fear, but some people actually fear dogs. If you have a fear of dogs, it's called sinophobia, and it's a fear of dogs, and you might need this spray if you've got sinophobia. That's right, dog gone. you just like, oh, here comes a dog, and you're, you know, it's like bear spray, and they're just gone, right? Uh, maybe for you, uh, you fear going to the doctor or the dentist because of needles, and the, the, the fear of needles is uh, trypanophobia. 
And triphanophobia is the fear of needles, and you wish you could just spray this before you went to the doctor, and you wouldn't be afraid anymore. Maybe you'd need this. Just need off, needle edition, right? Maybe some of you are like, I need the dental edition, I need the doctor edition, whatever it is, you just off, like you just turn it off. Right? Maybe for you, it's uh, you get up in the morning, and again, the news comes on, you begin to listen to the radio, you begin to watch things, you begin to see things, and it starts to rise that anxiety in you. And maybe before you start your day, you start your day with the sun because you need this to put on first. You might need some news block, right? Put on, put on the sun of God. Put that on first because it will help you interpret signs and the times as you begin to hear that. And maybe for some of you, it's fear of the unknown. You wish you could know the future. How many of you have gotten to a point in your life, you're like, I wish I could just know. In fact, maybe just knowing is better than not knowing. And you're like, bad or good, I just want to know. Any of you, right, I'm, okay, I'm the only one. Great, thank you for being honest with me this morning. Um, but yeah, a lot of us just fear the unknown. And how many of you have felt like, I just want to know 100%. I just, not 90%, I want to know 100%. Any of you in here 100%, you just want to know? Okay, well, maybe you need this. Maybe you need this spray. Uh, this will help you. It's uh, 409%. There you go. So you don't want to, it's bad math, but you want to know. In fact, 100% might not even be good enough because your anxiety might be enough. You need 409%. You just need to be totally sure. And maybe for you, uh, you just are afraid of your past or your present hurts and habits and hangups. And you wish that you could just grab a hold of this spray. It's called Mr. Clean. And you could just spray and clean yourself up, clean up the past, clean up the present, clean up my hurts, my habits, my hangups, right? I don't want to be sexist here, so maybe for you it's Mrs. Clean. <laughs> and I don't want to just play, you know, married or single, so for some of you it's Miss Clean. But wouldn't it be nice? If we could just take some sort of spray and say, I want to I take care of that issue in my life, and you spray it, and it, it's not affecting you anymore, wouldn't that be great? That'd be good news, wouldn't it? Well, what fear did you come walking in here today that you react of out of the flesh that you need God to reassure you today? You might want to write that down on your notes. See, the Thessalonians were afraid that they had missed out on being gathered to Jesus that he had already come, that they missed out, that they got left behind. And maybe some of you in this room are like, what if that happened? What if like God came in the rapture, which is where we meet him in the air. He doesn't touch down during the rapture. He comes, is revealed in the air, and Christians go to be with him. What if he had already come, and what if I'm left behind? And maybe you, you feared that, but I got to tell you, like, the, one of the greatest fears that I think in our culture is not Mr. Clean or Mrs. Clean. It's miss out. One of the greatest fears in our culture is that you might actually miss out on the pleasures of sin, on the experiences of life. Like everybody else is having this great time and you're afraid I'm missing out. And you look on your social networking and you go, it looks like I'm looking at the, you know, I'm looking at the slideshow, the snapshot of the greatest moments of other people's lives, but we think it's like the videotape of their life. We think it's the movie of their life. It's not. It's a snapshot, and they're projecting, look what we're doing, but you begin to feel like, well, I'm missing out. 
And maybe in your heart you're like, it looks like the temporary pleasures of sin are greater than what I'm experiencing. And I'm afraid I'm going to miss out if I don't behave like everybody else. If I don't behave like what I see in Hollywood. If I don't behave like I see on the TV. If I don't behave and talk and act like everybody else. Our greatest fear at times is missing out. In fact, I would project to you that your fear of missing out is greater than your fear of being left behind by God. Our culture fears being missing out on experiences and life and the temporary pleasures of sin. The Thessalonians, to give them credit, at least were fearing in the face of persecution, were fearing that maybe God had come and maybe something went wrong and somehow they were left behind. Well, he talks about the day of the Lord in this passage. What is the day of the Lord? It's a period of time, including the rapture, the tribulation, God's judgment, and Christ's earthly return. So what happens is you got, you know, rapture, and depending on the timeline, you got the tribulation, rapture, you've got the judgment of God, and Christ comes back to earth, reigns for a thousand years. Physically on earth, he actually comes back, touches down, he's on earth. And it's that period of time, the day of the Lord. And we cannot know the time of the day of the Lord. In fact, Scripture tells us not to try to predict it. Talk about fear of the unknown, right? There have been smarter people than you and me who have tried to predict the day of the Lord. And time and again, they go through and try and predict the day of the Lord, and they fail dramatically. But we're warned in Matthew 24, 36, uh, Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows. So who knows? No one. Right, say that again. No one. What about the smartest person in the world? No one, right? No one knows. He says, listen, not even the angels. You're like, seriously, the angels? Nope, don't know. Not the son. Not the son, but only the father. There's an intentional restraint where you're given a warning label to trying to figure out the end and trying to figure out the day of the Lord. But it's not new. Many have tried to predict it and failed. Many of them very smart, smart people. Uh, probably topping the charts are the Jehovah's Witness who have failed uh, since 1936 ten times. And uh, I'm not holding out. I think there might be an 11th coming up at some point in the future, but, but they have. Uh, another one, you might remember the New Age prophecies really about the Mayan or Aztec calendar in 2012. Well, here we are today. Hasn't happened, right? And you might remember radio host Harold Camping back in, uh, that he failed twice back in 1994, but he wasn't done. And so in 2011, he failed again twice, once in May and once in November. And you might remember this billboard that went viral after, on the internet, a picture of it, after Harold Camping failed to predict the end time. That was awkward, right? And then he gives a warning, Matthew 24, 36, no one knows the day or the hour, right? doesn't matter how smart you are, how mathematically, how well you know the Bible, how well you try to predict the past to understand the future. No one knows the time. So what do we do? We depend on God's power to endure life right now, that he's not finished with us yet, that he still has work for you to do until he returns, but don't fear that somehow you have missed out. Well, let's talk about five facts about the Antichrist, because he will, in fact, come. 
Number one, he will be lawless, recognizing no laws but his own. Verses three and eight tell us that he will not recognize any law. He will come and break all the rules instantly. He will not even recognize the UN. He will not recognize state or federal law. He will not recognize international law. He won't recognize the laws of any country. He won't recognize the laws or the history or the heritage of any religion. He will set himself up as the only law. He will do what he wants and he alone. Secondly, he will claim to be God. He will claim to be God. See, by recognizing no laws, he does what you and I do. We set ourselves up as God. We, be, we do as I please, right? And so he does that. He's going to come and claim to be God. Now, I got to tell you something. He's a little bit different. He's inspired and deceived by Satan, being utilized by Satan. But Satan in heaven said, I will be like God. And the rest of the angels in heaven, they could see God and know who God is. So so Satan never said, I'm God. He's like, hey, everybody, listen, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to elevate myself to be like God. Because he knew he couldn't fully deceive them that he was God because they knew who God was. They had seen him. Well, Satan, even in that, deceives a third of all the angels in heaven. And so God cast Satan and his angels out of heaven down to earth. Those angels are now what we would call demons. But he deceives them. He's a masterful deceiver. And he is going to take this human being, and he's going to cause this human being, the Antichrist, to set himself up as God. He's going to say, I am God. And it's going to deceive a lot of people because we don't see God. We can't be like, no, I've seen God, and that's not you. We, we can't. We believe in the unseen God. And so he's going to deceive a lot of people, proclaiming to be God. Third, he will have miraculous energy by Satan's power to back up his prideful claim. He will do signs and wonders uh, to serve the lie. And he's going to use those to make it seem to you and to me that looks like, wow, it looks like he's got all the power. Looks like he's got all the energy. Countries and peoples and authorities, they're, they're not only folding before this guy, they are rallying to his side. And those who oppose him are quickly shut down. He's got signs, wonders, miraculous energy by Satan's power. And as one who is being controlled by Satan, he will be a deceiver because Satan is a father of lies. As scripture said, lying is his native language. And he will be a deceiver. He'll be five steps ahead of everybody else. He'll always be deceiving and he'll always get his way. It will seem like he's got all the energy, all the power, all the momentum. It will seem like what he says everybody has to do. But you need to realize, step five, that God will destroy him. God will destroy him by the breath of his mouth. You've got to realize that God spoke creation into being. He said with his mouth, let there be light. And that breath came out of his mouth and light was created. The heavens and the earth were created by the spoken word of God. And by the same breath of his mouth, he will destroy the beast, the Antichrist. God will 
destroy him. Revelation 19.20 says this, but the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. What happens? God captures them and he destroys them. Because that's what a just God does. For the present, though, God restrains him. He hasn't shown up yet. For the present, God holds out. He restrains him. And people look at the signs of the times and they project, well, maybe it's this person or maybe it's that person. Again, we have to rely on the truth of Scripture. People during World War II would have had quite a bit of evidence to say, perhaps it is Hitler. He's against Jewish people and he's destroying and controlling these nations. They're folding in front of him. He's proclaiming himself, in a sense, to be the fewer, to be God. But there's a problem with that. The nation of Israel wasn't even established during World War II till after that time. And scripture says at the end times, Israel is established. We have to look and be able to check that evidence against the truth of scripture. These five areas are true of the person also who endeavors to reject God. They want to live life and go through it, but I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. So I'm going to reject God. And so you got to look at these five things about the Antichrist because it makes him seem to be so bad. But let's take a look at it just to check our own selves and evaluate our own lives. Uh, Number one, uh, the person who rejects God redefines laws to suit their preferences, right? I want to do as I please. So I'm going to redefine law to suit the preferences, whatever those preferences may be. I'm going to try to redefine that. And so that's what the person who rejects God does. Secondly, you want to be God in your life. You want to do as you please. So in a sense, you're setting yourself up, proclaiming yourself to be God, that the world should operate around you, and that you and your ways, your thinking, your preferences are God. You'll defend your life philosophy with amazing energy, and you'll be a deceiver, playing games with everyone to suit the benefit of the moment for you. See, we're not so different. Without God... We begin to set ourselves up to be God. If we reject God and the truth of who he is, we begin to play games. So with one person, we're going to say what they think, you know, we think they want to hear because that suits us in that moment. And with someone else, we're going to do that. And what happens all around, we just begin playing games. We're not honest or truthful with anybody. We're a deceiver because withholding information is a form of lying. So we just give the information, give and take with each audience that we engage with so it suits the need of the moment. We set ourselves up to be like God, but God wants to destroy that in you. He says that that power has a warning label, and there's a reckoning, and I want to address it in your life, but I loved you so much that I provided a way out of that. So what happens? What if you refuse Christ's love and you give yourself to the deceit and the temporary energy of sin? Three things that I want to point out. One, God will confirm you in your unbelief. He's going to confirm what's already begun in you, what already exists in you. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 says, For this reason God sent them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And you're like, wait, 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 time out. 
What are you saying? Like God makes people not believe him? No, that's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying God's confirming you in the unbelief you already have. You've already decided. You've already made that choice. And he's just confirming that. In fact, we realize this. Number two, God doesn't cause you to reject him. He takes no pleasure in your punishment, but desires all to be saved. Part of God's restraint withholding the lawless one, part of his restraint in coming back at the proper time is that he wants all to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to Christ. So he's holding off so that more and more people have a chance to know him and respond in the right way to the truth. Ezekiel 33, 11 in the Old Testament says this, this is the Lord speaking to Israel. He says, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? What's God's heart? He loves you. In the New Testament, Timothy writes to a church, he says this, uh, speaking of God and Chapter 2, verse 4, who, God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. He's saying God loves you so much that he's the mediator, that Christ is the mediator, that hears us as humans, that between us and Almighty God is Christ the second person of the Godhead, and he is our mediator. He's saying, listen, I took in my body the punishment that they deserve. So you, the judge, the holy, righteous God, you have already had that paid for on their behalf by me and my blood. He's the mediator between us and God. He loves us, and he proved it. In fact, John three sixteen through 18 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Well, let me tell you, there's a powerful delusion that will tell you that there's some other way, there's any other way that good intentions will make it you can stand before a righteous God and say, hey, here, let me present my information and my reasoning and my thinking to you, and somehow you'll recognize that I was somehow well-intentioned, and I'll get in. And God is saying, yeah, but what did you do with my son? The one and only way to have the monster inside of you taken care of. So what do we do? Let me suggest that you should fear the known monster of sin in you more than the unknown future Antichrist. What's a holy fear? A righteous fear? A righteous respect of the awesomeness and the justice and the love and the mercy of God? It's to fear the fact that we've got a sin problem and we need our sin taken care of by a Savior. So let me ask, what about you? What energy are you relying on to be saved? You can't take any spray and just make your sin just instantly go away. So what are you relying on? 
I love this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul is writing to the people of the town of Corinth, and he says this, speaking of Jesus. God made him who had no sin, listen to these words, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a, an amazing transfer in this verse that Christ lived a perfect life and that God would take him who had no sin. He was righteous. He was awesome. He was just. And God basically said, Christ said, I'm going to hang on the cross. I will take upon myself. I will take all your sin and I'm going to give you the righteousness that's mine. I'm going to transfer that to you. There's this beautiful exchange because we can never buy it. We can never pay for it. We couldn't earn it. Our well intentions couldn't get it. And Christ says, I willingly give it to you, but you have to take it. You have to receive it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you walked in here today, did you feel righteous? Did you feel like you had the righteousness of God? Sometimes we play this game, right? If you've known the Lord for some time, you might play this game where the, the further you get along with God, you kind of get away from the idea of grace. You get away from the idea that you still need God. You kind of look and go, well, my life's cleaned up a bit. And, but then you're all too cognizant as you get closer to God to just how much there is to go and how much work there is to do. And you see your hurts and your habits and your hangups and you're like, uh-oh. And you begin to feel like God's maybe a little bit more distant that he plays games with you like other people play with you. Like if you're good, they like you. If you're bad, they don't. But that's not God. And that's not how he approaches us. I think this week I was feeling some of that stuff. I grew up in a church, so it's pretty easy for me to think if I'm doing well, I feel close to God. If I feel like I'm not doing so well, I can feel a little more distant. And I was reading this passage. It's totally this like uh, obscure passage in Zechariah 3. And here's the picture. There's a vision going on of what's happening in heaven, and here's the picture of it. You have Joshua from the Old Testament, and he's standing in God's presence. And so here's God, and here's Joshua, this guy who helped lead the people out of Israel. He and Moses, they kind of led the people out of Israel. So here's this awesome Jewish you know, guy who just everybody thinks is the hero and he's standing before God, but between God and him is it, Satan's right there in heaven with them and he's the accuser. And Satan is actively accusing God on Joshua's wickedness. See, sometimes you hear this statement that says God can't be in the presence of sin. That's a dumb statement because number one, he came to earth, right? Interacted with people. Secondly, Satan still has access to accuse us before God. But here's what he says, Zechariah 3.2. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? He's saying, listen, I understand, Satan, that, there is, that, that he would have been deserving of the wrath but he is like one who's been given grace. He's been snatched from the fire. And Satan is there, and Satan's going, I don't get snatched from the fire. I am cast down. I am destined to destruction, and my hatred is so smoldering and burning, I'm going to deceive as many people as I can to go along with me to destruction. 
And, and in doing so, I'm going to spend my time also accusing those that God has rescued. And I just felt like this week, I was like, I took encouragement from that because I'm like, that's me. I'm one, I'm one snatched from the fire that I got snatched down, blown out, you know? That sometimes I feel like, oh, I, I should be on fire and, and God's going, no, I'm the one who snatched you from the fire. And you need to realize that God is the monster spray. That he has basically taken the monster in us of sin and he's made it his own. He owned it personally. He replaced our monstrosities. He took our antichrist-like actions, our defiant lawlessness, and he gives to us instead his holiness, his righteousness. He gives that to us if we will just receive him as the way to be saved. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit on the inside as a deposit guaranteeing that when you and I die, that we enter eternal life in the presence being gathered to the Lord. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just looking at your life, so you're just concentrating on you. It's important for us to examine our lives and say, do I believe about God or have I put my faith and trust? Have I given myself to God? Am I walking that tightrope trying to play with all the pleasures of the world and sin and they're so temporary, all the promises the world makes that ultimately cannot deliver? And am I wasting my life? Or today do I surrender to a holy God? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to take a moment during this time and I want you to pray two things. One, pray for the person who has never given their life to Christ, that they may decide to do that. Secondly, I would like you to just pray about the core fear that you walked in here today. Would you say, God, I I'm going to stop trying to control that. I'm going to give that up to you as one who's been snatched from the fire. Will you turn your trust in your heart, not to react out of the flesh, but back to faith in our God? But perhaps here today, you're realizing this is new information and and you realize in your heart you've got a sin problem and you've never taken care of it. And today is the day where you need to say yes to Jesus, that you believe in him, that you'd like eternal life, that you want to take all the monster of sin inside of you and you want to give it to him no matter how long you've been attending a church or known about God, that today is the day of salvation for you. And so if that's you, pray a prayer. God hears you right where you're sitting. You just say it in your heart, real silent. Maybe repeat something like this after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you took the monster of sin in me and you owned it as yours, and that you're willing to give me your righteousness. I believe that you rose from the dead, that you're in heaven defending me against the accusation of the evil one because you paid for my sin in full. God, I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. Give me your Holy Spirit as a deposit now so when I die, I'm in heaven with you. Today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, would you just raise up your hand? And we're around the room. We've got some people who'd like to just bring you some information. Just keep your hand up so one of my friends here can just find you. They want to be able to do that. Anywhere around the room, just lift your hand up high. And they're going to give you some information and just uh, have a way to be able to follow up with you. Awesome. Anywhere else, just make sure they can see you. 
Awesome. Jesus, we're so grateful for the gift of you that you would love us enough while we were lawless and while we were anti-Christ that you would die for us. And so, God, we just entrust ourselves to you. God, help us in the times when we're like sheep and we get startled and easily afraid. We need you. Reassure us by the truth of your word. God, keep us from the delusionment and the powerful lie of our culture. Help us to be ones who are a light of the truth in our culture to our friends who are just doing the same stuff that everybody else does, but they need you desperately. And we pray this, God, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Sun Grove Church, we give it up for what God's doing among us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun